This is the time where we take our tithes and offerings, so those who are prepared to take the offering can come forward. Did you know that now there's an easy, secure way to give to NewSpring using your smartphone? Just scan the code on the back of the worship guide with your mobile device or check out newspring.org slash mobile give. If you're interested in going public with your faith through baptism, register for Watermark. We have Watermark sessions available for adults and children. Watermark Weekend will be December 9th, 10th, and 11th. You can get more information and register online at newspring.org watermark. The Pathway to Discipleship is a yearly devotional prayer journal that's just come out, and Mark is one of the 51 pastors who's prepared devotionals for the book. Beginning this weekend, we're able to offer this book at a discounted price of $20. You can pick one up today at the New Spring store or at the table that's just inside the front entrance in the main foyer. Keep in mind that the table can just accept credit or debit cards, so if you have cash, please visit the New Spring store. What's up? I'm Gordo from the Clubhouse Gang, and I want to invite you and your family to Kids World FX, December 9th at 7 p.m. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be playing some awesome games, giving away some cool prizes, and singing some songs. Oh, and kids, if you want to sing on stage, have your parents sign you up online on our website, newspring.org. It's going to be awesome. Be there. It's going to be awesome. Kids World invites you to join us for Project Generosity, which benefits the Pregnancy Crisis Center. Just pick an ornament off of one of the giving trees, go purchase the item, bring it back unwrapped anytime through the month of December, and then hang the ornament on your own Christmas tree so you can remember to pray for the center throughout the month. My name is Susan Lear, and I'm the Executive Director of the Pregnancy Crisis Center here in Wichita. I'm Mandy Nordyke, the Director of Client Services here at the PCC. Roos Closet is our material support closet. That's what we're standing in today. This is where all of our donations come in and are separated, divided out, and this is where um, all, we house all of our material goods that we are able to provide to our clients. Each year, for many years now, Pregnancy Crisis Center has invited churches to participate with us in filling material support needs that we have for our clients. Being a part of Project Generosity is an opportunity to provide material support for our clients and to make sure that we can send them home with as much availability as possible because all of our services are at no cost to them and we want to make sure that we can provide as much material support as possible. I want to thank you so much for generously giving to young men and women you may never meet individually, but your gifts will be shared with them in the love of Christ. So thank you for your generosity. We challenge every Newspringer to get involved in making a difference for those in crisis in our community. Get your ornament today.
And it does begin next weekend, starting with the biggest series I've ever had anything to do with. <laughs> and it, it really is, hey, let me just say, this is going to be a really heartwarming series. And it's, it's called Gifts, and it's about the gifts that we have through Jesus Christ. And it's just wonderful. It's going to be a tremendously encouraging series. And we've done something a little special here at New Spring for this season. In fact, you, you saw one of these in the video that you just watched. Well, these are mini invites. You know, each... Each time we do a new series, you get a little card you can give out to your friends as a mini invite. I know I do it all the time, and uh, I, I, I joke with you because I really do this. When I'm driving through a window at, you know, at McDonald's or something, I, I don't want to go through, I'm the pastor and all that, so I'll just say, hey, my pastor is starting a brand new series, and, it's, and so I always think they're going to come to church someday and say, hmm, that's weird. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, but anyway, we've, we've done this. It looks like a gift tag, and, and our staff has worked very hard to make these attractive so that when you, when you say to a friend, hey, we're doing something really special at our church, uh, we'd love to have you have, be part of this. It's going to be in all of our four weekend services each week leading up to Christmas, and it actually closes on, New Year, uh, on Christmas Eve night or Christmas Eve. Actually, we have, I, sh- I really misspoke there. We have services on the 23rd and 24th, but there'll be actual weekend services. There'll be Kids World for all those services. So our series will close out on Christmas Eve, five weeks of, uh, of knowing the gifts that we have in Jesus. So it's going to be tremendous. I can't wait to get started, actually get started next weekend. And then also you saw this. I was invited to participate in a devotional by Thomas Nelson Publishing. And uh, it's a daily devotional. Actually, a friend gave me last year's version when I was going through the difficult time that I talked to you about in intensive care. And it was a real blessing to me. Well, actually, I was asked to participate in writing this. None of us who write get anything out of this other than the fact we get to pass it on to you early. And so if you're looking for a Christmas gift, we've got a couple of places. You can go to the bookstore or there's actually a table set out if you want to stop, pick up some of these devotionals for Christmas gifts. It's uh, the idea is the pathway of discipleship is for people who want to learn how to follow Jesus better. Let's get that out of the way. I want to jump right into today's talk. If you've read the calendar at New Spring, you know that I'm not in a series today. This is what I would call a standalone message. I have something, a specific thought that I want to share with you And it's all about Thanksgiving, because this Thursday, of course, is the American holiday Thanksgiving. And there's a reason why I want to bring today's talk to you. I think if there's an issue in America, it's an absence of Thanksgiving. And I don't think we really understand how important it is to God that we give him thanks for the good things that he's done. And by extension, I think sometimes we don't understand how important gratitude is to the people in our lives. And, you know, when we think about what we can do for God, many of us have ideas that, wow, if I had a, you know, if I won the lottery, which I hope you don't play because that you probably lose a lot of money that way, but even if you do, if I won the lottery, then I would give God a whole lot of money. Or if I, you know, won the publisher's clearinghouse, or if, if somehow I got this bounty of money, I would give God some money and he would just really be happy there. Or I would take a pilgrimage to Africa and go on a mission trip and maybe God would be happy with me. Well, you know, funding God's work and taking mission trips are all great things. But I, I want to tell you, one of the greatest things that you can ever do in God's sight is to be thankful. It's to just come before him and express gratitude for the good things that he has done for you in your life. And I think one of the worst things that we can do, and I don't want to be negative about this, although it may feel that way in this message at times, I think one of the worst sins that you and I can commit is the sin of ingratitude. And let's just start with this. Let's start that here in America, it seems that there's a de-emphasis on days that we set aside to honor God. It's, it's whether it's, 
it's inadvertent or it's systematic. I'm never really sure. But on Easter, when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, you know, that has now become the day for the Easter bunny and Easter egg. I'm, I'm just, I enjoy finding lost eggs as much as the next person. And there's nothing wrong with Easter egg hunts. I mean, I'm, I, I think they're fun. But the day is all about Jesus coming back to life. And, and we've just about lost Christmas as a name. You know, that's the winter holidays because we're afraid of offending somebody, you know? And you, you think, well, half the world's retail or half the United States retail economy depends on, on Christmas sales. If there's nothing to celebrate, why are we spending so much money for presents? You know, why are we lighting our houses and putting up trees and going through all the rigmarole of the season if there's nothing really big to celebrate other than the days are getting longer after the winter solstice? But if there's a day that I think we really do mistreat sometimes, it's, it's Thanksgiving. Because Thanksgiving was a day that it was an American holiday solely set aside for the purpose of giving thanks to God for the goodness of his, of, that he's given to us in our lives. And I hear it called Turkey Day. And I got to be honest with you. I'm as guilty as the next person of taking this day and turning it into a day in which I eat way too much, which I don't, I mean, I think there's, that's fine if you want to do that, as long as you only do it on Thursday, all right? And then honestly, be, just keeping it real here, the Cowboys play on Thanksgiving. So um, <laughs> I, I, I want you to understand that when I bring today's talk, I'm not just pointing the finger out at you. In fact, as fast-paced as I live my life, I don't know that anybody here today needs today's talk more than I do. So I want you to know I'm going to preach to Mark, and in the process of time, you listen and see if maybe some of what I've got to say will resonate with you. First of all, I want you to understand something about the country that you live in. When we set aside the fourth Thursday of every November as a day of Thanksgiving, we did not do so at a time when everything was humming along just fine. It wasn't like everything was wonderful in America and we thought, what shall we do? Oh, let's declare a day of Thanksgiving. There are three very important dates in history, in American history, that have to do with Thanksgiving. The first one is 1621, the second one is 1863, and the third is 1941. And let me just give you a little idea of how those days fit into the Thanksgiving holiday that you and I celebrate as Americans. 1621 was the first Thanksgiving on American soil. The 53 survivors of the Mayflower met with a group of Native Americans who came and helped provide a feast for them, and they knelt before God and gave them thanks. What you and I should understand is those 53 first Americans from the Mayflower who knelt to give thanks were the survivors of a catastrophic voyage. Almost every one of them had lost family members in the winters before. Many of them had lost husbands, of the, of, of the women who came on the Mayflower, 22 out of 26 died. Only four grown women were left. Many of them had lost children. And you would think that these poor people who had been through so much, that if there ever were a group of people that would be able to sit down around a table and just put their chin in their hands and gripe, it would be these people. But instead, they said, no, we want to declare a day of celebration. And God blessed them and God blessed the Native Americans who came to help them celebrate that first Thanksgiving. I just wanted you to know that this was not a holiday that was birthed in ease, or it was not a holiday that was birthed in everything being fine. These were very difficult times, but your, God, your forefathers and foremothers were willing to kneel and give God thanks. The reason why 1863 is an important year is until then, the states had celebrated Thanksgiving on their own dates, but Abraham Lincoln, in the same year that he rendered the Emancipation Proclamation, 
felt, along with a lot of other legislators, that it would be a good thing for a nation who was in as much trouble as we were, which I think 1863 might just be the most tenuous year of American history. The Civil War was not yet decided. It was at that point that Abraham Lincoln, along with the legislators in the United States, decided it would be a very good thing if the whole nation could agree on one day to give thanks to God. If we couldn't agree on anything else, maybe we could agree on the importance of giving God thanks. And so in 1863, Thanksgiving became a national American holiday. In 1941, President Roosevelt was the one, along with legislators, who moved Thanksgiving to the fourth Thursday of November. And what you should know about that particular year was like 1863, it was particularly difficult because on this date when Thanksgiving was set aside for the fourth Thursday of November, it was only 20 days after Pearl Harbor was bombed. I just find it interesting, and I don't want to give a history lesson because I'm not capable of doing that, but I just find it interesting that in American history, the three most important dates for Thanksgiving were at particular times when Americans were having a difficult time. And yet here we are in America in 2011, even though we're going through some difficult economic times, they pale in comparison to World War II or the Civil War are the experiences of our first ancestors in America who did not know if they were going to be able to starve or live through the next winter. I wonder if we will have time this week, or I wonder if those of us who are Christ followers could find time each day to give God thanks. Before I get into the talk, let me just share with you three verses that I think about in regard to thanksgiving. In Psalm 92, it says, let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Now, that's an interesting, I love the lettuces in the Bible. I'm not talking about a vegetable there. Let us is, is it's a way, you see, here's the thing. When you read that expression, let us, that's not a pastor saying to a church, let's us do something. This is the pastor saying to the church, let us do this. It is you stretching out your hands to me and say, let us do this. It is you stretching out your arms to the person next to you or behind you or in front of you. It's all of us saying, hey, let's all do this. In other words, this is something that we should feel corporately. A few moments ago, we were led in worship by Ryan and Melinda and Luis and others who were on stage. But it's not just them saying, let us worship. It's all of us saying, hey, if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, it's a good idea. Let us come before him with thanksgiving. Come before him with thanksgiving. In other words, when you come in here to worship God, or even if you kneel down to pray, or if you pray like me, when you're driving in your car, now, wherever you pray, whenever you come before God, the Bible says, hey, come before me with thanksgiving. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, the Bible tells us there should not be obscenity flowing out of our mouth, foolish talk or coarse jesting, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Why do people swear? Why do people use profanity? Why do people tell smutty stories? Honestly, I think it's because most of the time people don't know what to say, and they say it anyway. And yet the Bible says, look, if you don't know what to say, instead of letting, you know, F-bombs flow out of your mouth, instead of letting profanity, you know, come out of your mouth, instead of letting smutty stuff come out of your mouth, the Bible says, look, you've been given that breath for a reason, that breath that you're using to say bad stuff, turn around and use that breath to give thanks to God. I mean, wouldn't that surprise your friends the next time you get together? You know, I mean, somebody starts letting loose, and, and you're saying, you know, excuse me a moment, 
You know, God has been, let me tell you guys, God has been so good to me. Let me tell you what God has done for me this week. That'll stop the party right there. (laughs) Or maybe it'll start it. Because the Bible says there shouldn't be obscenity, foolish talk, of course, jesting. The Bible says that's out of place. You got breath from God for a purpose. What was that breath for? To thank him. And here's the verse that Mark needs more than any other verse. I'm, I, I don't want to get a tattoo, but if I was going to get a tattoo, I would have this verse tattooed on me someplace that's visible that I could see. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request before God. In other words, God is saying, Mark, instead of the usual freaking out that you do when you can't tell what's going to happen, God says, just come before me, ask me for what you want. And by the way, remember to thank me for what I've done in the past. Let me tell you why that's very powerful. When I start thanking God for all the scrapes that he's gotten me out of, I start remembering, you know what, he's a powerful God. Well, that really wasn't even part of the talk. I just wanted you to see those. My talk's real simple today, and it won't last for a long time. I want to talk to you about gratitude and ingratitude, because I want us to see see the distinction between the two. I want to show you two situations, two stories in the Bible. And by the way, if you have kids in Kids World today, especially if they're in 252, they're going to hear the same story that you're going to hear. So I want to encourage you to talk to them on the way home today. They're being encouraged to talk to you, so you better just start girding your mental loins and getting ready for it. And this would be great for you to talk about on Thanksgiving morning. So this is, a, this is a joint session, kind of. But what I want you to understand about gratitude and ingratitude is that ingratitude, first of all, gratitude remembers and ingratitude forgets. Okay? If we want to just really drill down to see if, because here's the deal. I don't think that we tend to be grateful within situations. I think we're either grateful people or we're ungrateful people. See, I think it's a consistent thing. And I'm not talking about writing thank you notes and all the obligatory stuff that we need to do culturally. That's fine. I'm I'm going a lot deeper than that. I'm saying I think I'm either a grateful person or I'm an ungrateful person. And how can I measure that? What's the dipstick that I can put into the tank to to see whether or not I'm a grateful person or an ungrateful person? Well, here's the first one. If I'm grateful, I remember. I remember. When I, was, I started pastoring very early, and I served when I was a senior in college, a rural church in Mansfield, Texas, and my pastor was Jack Miles. He was a fine fellow and a good friend of my dad's, and took a chance on a 20-year-old kid, which I look back on and think, that's amazing, to make me associate pastor of his church. Jack was, a, yeah, he was from Louisiana, he had a heavy Cajun accent, and he was just a hoot to listen to. And he and his wife were so good to me. And one day we were out visiting, and I remember Jack, Jack talking to me, and it's almost like a father-son thing. And he started talking to me about my future. And Jack said, Mark, you're a very gifted young man. And he said, you're going to go very far. He said, I am convinced that you have the talent base and the skill base that God is going to use in an extraordinary way. Well, I was glad to hear that. I thought, that's good. I, that's a comforting thing. And then he just put his finger up like this, and he said, I want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to me real good. He said, you remember the people that helped you up. Don't forget the people that helped you rise when you get to the place of effectiveness. And here, after all those years, 35 years later, I still remember Jack saying, don't forget the people who have helped you up. It's true. I've had the privilege of speaking in a lot of places. I have the privilege of pastoring a great church. 
I know what it's like to see my face on a picture of a publication, which I don't know why you put my face on a picture of a publication. But you got to understand that if I've had any success in life, it's because of many, many people who helped me get to this place. And it's the same for you. I mean, whatever you are in life that's good, it's just like Jack said to me, don't forget the people that helped you up along the way. Gratitude remembers. You know, there's something demeaning about being forgotten, isn't there? Some of you ladies know what it's like. You're in a relationship with a guy. You've been in a relationship with a guy. And I don't know what it is about guys. Guys sometimes struggle with gratitude. And guys can forget, especially special days. Some of you know what it's like to have your, have your guy forget your birthday or forget your anniversary. And, and you know, it's not, the, it's not the flowers. It's not the card. It's not the, well, maybe it is the present. But it's not, the, it's not the, what you don't get. It's just the humiliation of being forgotten. And right now as I speak, there are some guys that are mentally scrolling through the calendar to think. <laughs> Heard about this couple that were getting ready to go to work the other day. And, you know, he was doing his thing. She was doing his, her thing. And they were both getting ready. And she was trying to talk to him. And he had one eye on ESPN. He was kind of like, you know, looking at the paper with the other eye. And, and she kept trying to talk to him, and he, went, he, he just wasn't listening to her. And finally, she just turned and snapped at him and said, I'll bet you don't even know what day this is. He said, sure I do. <laughs> he left the house. <laughs> she went under her office. At 10 o'clock, a courier arrived with two dozen roses with a little card that said, may these roses let you know how I feel about you on this special day. <laughs> At 11.30, another courier arrived with a box of imported chocolates and a little card that said the same thing. Made these chocolates let you know how I feel about you on this very special day. 2.30 that afternoon, a beautiful evening gown arrived in a box, you know, with gold sash tied across the box. She opened it up, saw the gown. Inside was a card, made this dress, let you know how I feel about you on this very special day. When she signed after work, she just went through her arms and said, babe, this is the best groundhog day I've ever had. <laughs> Some of you guys are laughing very painfully right now. I, I know you're laughing inside. <laughs> God feels that way. I want to take you to the book of Deuteronomy. And I know it's got a weird sounding name, you know. When you think, sometimes when you've read, tried to read through the Bible, and especially if you've read through Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and you're reading about how the tabernacle was built, and you're thinking, man, I don't know if I can read another one of these books. And you get to Deuteronomy. Don't make that mistake. Deuteronomy is an awesome book. You should learn to love Deuteronomy, and I'll tell you why. This is part of the story of how Moses led the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. We'll get into that in just a moment and talk about the difficulties associated with that. But here's what you should know right now in understanding the importance of the book of Deuteronomy. The, the journey from Egypt to the promised land should have only taken weeks, and instead it took 40 years. The reason why it took so long was this older generation who had come out of slavery. God had offered them a magnificent land, but instead of taking God at his word, they choked at a moment of destiny. And basically, they flipped God off and said, we want to go back to Egypt. And God got angry, and he swore 
that the older generation would die off in the wilderness. So for 40 years, he let them go into circles. There was a holding pattern in the desert. When you get to Deuteronomy, that older generation has died off, that faithless generation that would not receive the promise and the opportunity that God had given them. The older generation had died off, and now there was a young, fresh generation who had seen what had happened to their parents, and they were radical about following God, and they were ready. And as far as I can tell in the history of the Jewish people in the Bible, this is the one generation that got it right. And what makes Deuteronomy a a much-beloved book to me is that Moses is the elderly statesman now who has lived through all this. He is still their leader. He will not be for much longer because it will not be much longer before God takes him to heaven and this young generation under the leadership of their new leader, Joshua, will go over into the promised land. But what makes this particularly beautiful book what it is is that you have this elderly Moses talking to these young, new, fresh leaders. And that's the reason why when I read the book of Deuteronomy, it practically sizzles for me. If you were here at this point last year, I was doing a series called Bless You. And I talked about the ground rules of blessing. And a lot of the series came out of the book of Deuteronomy because Moses was talking to these young radicals who loved God greatly. And he was showing them how to get blessing from God. What you should hear now as you listen to these words is Moses cautioning this young generation about what they could do that would screw everything up. And what I love to tell you here is that this young generation listened. And I I think that's why I love bringing this talk to you today is because sometimes I feel like an older leader talking to young radicals who really wanna follow God because New Spring is made up of a lot of young, young people. And, and my hope and my prayer is that as you listen to this talk leading up to Thanksgiving, my, my concern is that you will hear these words and take them to heart and say, yes, I will live my life this way, and no, I will not live in ingratitude. Now let's read together in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7. Moses, we're going to pick him up in the middle of a speech. He said, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. I can't help but take a moment and maybe draw a connection between that land and America, because we live in a good land. If you don't think America's a good land, just go around the world a little bit. I promise you, you'll kiss the runway when you get out of the airplane. Moses said, the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. When you've, now now think about that word, when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord. But that is the time to be careful Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget. Remember, ingratitude forgets. Beware that you do not forget the Lord. Now, let me just say why this verse is really important to me. It is the word that Moses uses. Moses uses the word beware. The word beware always gets my attention. Because beware means you have a legitimate reason to be afraid. I mean, there are a lot of phobias that we have that are not legitimate. But whenever you see the word beware, beware is usually in stark colors, usually it may be black against the yellow background. Why? Because our attention needs to be gotten. There is a legitimate reason to be afraid. And I pay attention. I see signs that say, beware of dog. I pay attention. I I remember one time seeing a pickup truck in Texas. It said, forget the dog, beware of the owner. (laughs) I know lots of people who need to carry a sign around just like that. You know, you go to the ocean, beware of currents, you know, beware of dangerous currents. Or if you're in the hospital, beware of toxic, you know, beware of toxic waste. My favorite one is when I'm, you know, driving through the mountains of Colorado at 20 miles an hour, and you see the sign that says, beware of falling rock. It's like, what am I going to do with this 
500-pound boulder rolling at me. But beware means you have a legitimate reason to be afraid. Now, here's the, here's the reason why, as a, as a Bible student, this arrests me, arrests my attention. Because God has just said to them through Moses, listen, when you get to the place where all your problems go away, you need to beware. These are people who knew absolutely nothing but problems for the last 40 years. In fact, as I look at their story, there were all kinds of legitimate reasons for them to be afraid. If you'd rolled rolled back the calendar 40 years before, there were slaves in Egypt. And if God had said to this people, beware of becoming slaves to Pharaoh. Hey, I would understand that. That's a legitimate reason for being afraid. But God didn't say beware of being slaves. And then you remember the story how that when God said to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go, Pharaoh was not in a good mood to let his slave labor force leave and lose all that economic base. And so Pharaoh said to Moses, well, who is your God that I should let your people go? I don't know your God. We worship cats, frogs, everything else, but I don't know why, why I should worship your God. So God brought Pharaoh his calling card, 10 of them in fact. God made Pharaoh 10 deals he couldn't refuse. Turned water into blood, brought frogs, lice, flies, darkness, hail, and finally the death of the firstborn. And after that 10th one, Pharaoh was in no more mood to mess with God. And he said, okay, Moses, you and your people, just get out of here. Just go, just go, just go. And so here is Moses. And by the way, when you watch the movie, it looks like he's got a thousand people or so with him. You need to understand that when Moses left Egypt, he left with two and a half million people. He basically left with Kansas. (laughs) And so you don't make any fast moves like this. And so here are these people. I mean, the Pharaoh's like, go, 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 go. Just get out of here before God does the next thing. And so they start out, and they get all the way to the Red Sea. They don't know how to get across. They don't have boats. They don't have ships. It's like they weren't. I mean, these are slaves. They're not prepared for this. Their leader has been herding sheep for 40 years. And about that time, Pharaoh says, I don't think I'm going to let these people go. And so he amasses and unleashes the greatest, most powerful fighting force in the world at that moment to chase these slaves. So here are, the, here are these people. I mean, they're at the brink of the Red Sea. They can't get across. Pharaoh's army is chasing them down. They got a sea at flood stage in front of them, a massive army behind them. That looks like a good time to be afraid. If I'm God, I'm saying, beware of Pharaoh's army. Beware of flood but no, God took care of both things. They get across on the other side. You've got to think about this. Two and a half million people in the desert. I thought about this when I was in Arizona last year. And you just look out there. You know, in the middle of the desert, no McDonald's, no Burger Kings, no buffets. How are you going to feed these people? And yet, you know, if I would have been God, it was to beware of starving to death. I mean, they, they ran out of water. Beware of dehydration. God didn't say that. He gave them manna from heaven. He gave them water from the rock. And then there is the one thing that they encountered in the wilderness that if I'm them, I want to hear a real beware from God, not snakes. I am afraid of snakes. There are two kinds of snakes. There are those that will hurt you, and there are those that will make you hurt yourself. <laughs> I don't visit herpetariums. I have friends who own snakes for pets. I love those friends from a distance. (laughs) In my mind, and I don't know how you feel. If you love snakes, just please plug your ears up right now. But in my mind, the only good snake is a dead snake. (laughs) 
And all of a sudden, snakes are crawling through there, biting. I mean, if, if I'm the Israelites, I want to hear, beware from God, beware of snakes. But now, are you getting all this? God didn't say beware of any of those things. Well, what a weird time to pick for God to say beware. God is saying, look, when you get over to the land and, and you're living in houses that you didn't build and you're, you're, you're eating from crops that you didn't plant and you've eaten and you're full and you're sitting in your recliner and you're thinking, wow, this is great. I'm going to turn on the big screen. God is saying, then beware. What's the logic behind that? It's real easy. It's real simple. And it's what you and I should grasp. Don't you hear God saying, no, I can deal with any of that other stuff. Pharaoh's army, I can deal with that. Red Sea, I can deal with that. No food, I'll just rain it down from heaven. Call it manna, you don't know what it is. No water, hey Moses, speak to the rock. Snakes, hey Moses, get a brass pole, walk through the camp. Don't you understand, God is saying, look, look, all that's... All that stuff that bothers you, all that stuff, Mark, that's eating you, all those things, you're worried about the economy, worried about the election, worried about new foreign markets, worried about job security. God is saying, don't you understand? I can handle all those things. God is saying, there's only one thing I can't handle. I can't handle it if you forget me. This is as deep as I ever want to go. God is sovereign. He controls everything. But within the purview of his control, he has made a choice. And that choice is to give you and me the freedom to do whatever pretty much we want to do or think. You know why that is? Because he wants us to love him voluntarily. He wants to serve him. He wants us to serve him from the heart. He wants us to bring gratitude. If, if, if we did it through his sovereignty, we would just be robots. But God doesn't want robots, so what does he do? He gives us freedom. And within that freedom, God, there, there are things that God cannot control. He, he chooses to not allow himself to. He, he does not control our love for him. He does not control our gratitude to him. He does not control our service to him. He allows that to be our choice so that when we do it, it matters to him. And that is why God is saying, all the stuff that freaks you out, I can handle that. But the one thing I can't handle is when after I've been good to you and I've put you in this wonderful land and I've put you in a place where you're not worried about how you're going to eat today and I've put you in a place where you have a little money in the bank and life is good, I can't handle it if you forget me. Let me read on a little bit. God said, don't become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued from slavery. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I've achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful. You say, well, Mark, hey, listen, I earned this. I earned this the hard way. I made good grades in college. I went to med school. I went through the difficult years of internship and residency. And I beat my head against the wall to get to where I am. I got here all by myself. <laughs> you know enough about medicine to realize that something could go wrong in one of your cells or a little blood clot. 
You say, Mark, I, I worked hard. I went to college. I made good grades. I went to law school. I, I, I worked in the prosecutor's office till I learned how to become a trial lawyer. And, and now I want you to understand everything I've got, my house, my cars, my, my condo, my vacation home, all this stuff, I did it. I worked hard for it. God is saying, no, no, no. Without him, you couldn't have done any of it. You say, my name is Mark Hoover. I pastor New Spring Church. I've been here going on 27 years, and I've worked hard. And, and God is saying, no, Mark, you don't understand. You couldn't have done anything without me. See, what God is saying is, don't, I, I wish I knew how to preach. God is saying, I've been good to you. I've given you all this stuff so you would know that you didn't do it by yourself. And you wouldn't say, I got this by my own strength. Like someone said, you know, if you see an ant on top of a telephone pole, you know it had help. <laughs> Let me change gears right now. Because if gratitude remembers and ingratitude forgets, let's go now to the second one. Gratitude shows up and ingratitude disappears. This is the story that those of you who have kids in 252, they're going to be hearing back there and you're going to hear it today. Let me read it to you. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, mercy, have, master on, have, have mercy on us. Now, Leprosy in Jesus' day is different than it is today. Let me give you a little idea of what leprosy was like. A person who would become leprous might notice a lesion on his or her, one of the digits perhaps, maybe the, or the back of a hand. And just like any of the rest of us who have a lesion come up, we think, well, that's going to go away. Maybe we put some kind of ointment on it and hope that it would go away. But the problem with leprosy is it would not go away. It was a lifelong disease pretty much. Very rare for someone to get well. And leprosy would tend to damage and decay the digits. And not only could there be excruciating pain, but there could also be numbness. And one of the reasons why when you look back at pictures from Bible times, you see lepers represented. Oftentimes, they would have rags wrapped around stumps of, of wrist or stumps of feet. And what would happen oftentimes is in the illness itself, a person with leprosy would do damage to a hand or a foot and not even realize that he or she had done it. Leprosy was a particularly difficult disease because it was considered to be contagious, and because it was such an awful disease, anyone who had leprosy, at the point of the discovery of the disease, that person had to be separated out from the larger community. And basically, leprosy was, the, it was a death sentence for people who were living. It meant your marriage was over, your ability to be a parent was over, your job was finished. Everything that bonded you to the larger community was gone. Not only did you have to suffer, suffer from a debilitating disease, but socially you became an outcast. And beyond that, you became worse than an outcast. You became a pariah. Let me just throw something at you for those of you who study the Bible. Whenever you read about Jesus interacting with people who are ill, the Bible says he healed them with the exception of lepers. What does the Bible always say about lepers? He cleansed them. Why? Because lepers were considered filthy. 
And because of that, they had to leave the broader culture, leave the society, and go out and live in leper co- colonies with people who were in the same boat that they were in. And they had to stand back, and, and if they came close to anybody who might be healthy, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean. I think it's difficult for us to even imagine what it must have been like for lepers in Jesus' day. So here's Jesus. He's on the border here, and and there are 10 guys who have a problem. They all have leprosy, and they have to stand at a distance. No doubt they've said, unclean, unclean, unclean. But then they ask Jesus for help, and it's, I want to do something I don't normally do. I want to get into the grammar a little bit because the, the New Testament was written in Greek, and Greek the Greek language does things with verbs sometimes there's a little play on words that, that kind of goes through here that helps us understand gratitude. For instance, if there's verb action, it could indicate something happened over a period of time, that something was a process or something happened once and it never happened again. But in our particular situation, this particular v- verb uh, ending in this particular verb tense means that it happened like this. Okay, just file that away. These guys have, they have leprosy. And you know what they ask Jesus? They're saying, Lord, would you heal us just like this? I mean, we're in so much trouble. We can't afford for this to be a process. And this is the only day that you're going to be in our town. So, Lord, if you're ever going to help us, we need you to do something like this. I wonder if you've ever prayed a prayer like that. <laughs> Lord knows I have. Lord, I need help now. My marriage needs help now. My kids need healing now. Lord, I need direction now. And that prayer doesn't always get answered, but that's what these 10 guys did. They were, they were standing at a distance, and they're saying, Lord, would you have mercy on us now? And as they went, well, let me back up for a moment. He looked at them, the compassionate Jesus. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priest. Now, why would he say that? Because anyone who thought they might be healed from leprosy or cured, they would go show themselves, demonstrate their clean skin, to the priest, and the priest would give them the good housekeeping stamp of, of approval that would allow them to go back into culture. So he looked at them, and he said, go show yourself to, to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Same verb. I mean, and, and they said, Lord, could you help us? We can't afford to wait. And Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. They made a U-turn. Just like that, they were fine. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back. Do you get that? They said, Lord, can you do something for us now? And the Lord said, I can. And this one guy, as soon as he saw he was clean, he turned back and said, Lord, I'm coming back right now. He didn't wait. There was no process involved. He asked for healing like that. Healing came like that. Gratitude came like that. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Well, where were they? See, I think there's a reason why the Holy Spirit, when when he had Luke write this, why you got this this play on words. Lord, can you help us? And Jesus said, yes. And this guy turned around and said, yes, Lord, thank you. But the other nine walked away. I see, I, I think they intended to get around to it. But are we listening today? Mark, are you listening? They had lives to live. They had marriages to rekindle. They had kids to hold on their knees again. They had jobs to get back. 
And I think they said to themselves, surely that man understands that I got a life to live. And just keeping it real here today, I think that's why many of us who have been blessed beyond belief compared to the rest of the world, we're blessed extraordinarily. We really don't have much time for God. Our finances don't reveal that we have any real place for God and his work and what we spend money for. We really don't show up to do much for God because we think surely if anybody understands that I've got a life to live, God understands that I've got a life to live. God understands that I've got a marriage. God understands that I've got a career. God understands that I've got kids to parent and having 12 different sports. And God understands that I've got all this stuff to do. Surely God is able to contextualize. Let me give you the bad news. He can contextualize it. That's our problem. Our problem is that he does get it. I mean, look at Jesus' language. Jesus said, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the nine? See, that's the thing. Gratitude shows up. That's true in a marriage. I mean, listen, guys, many of you guys are married to wonderful women, but you don't show up. When you're needed, you don't show up. You find convenient ways to disappear. Some of you guys are married to wonderful guys, but you find convenient ways to disappear. Many of you guys have good parents. They're not perfect parents, but they love you, but you find convenient ways to disappear. Gratitude shows up. And ingratitude just disappears. And Jesus said, well, they got to be around here somewhere. But they can't be found. As I talk to myself today, this sermon is for me. I want to ask myself, can I show up? Do I show up? Do I show up for Mary Alice? Do I show up for three wonderful sons, two wonderful daughters-in-law, and two wonderful granddaughters? Do I show up for the many friends who've helped me? Do I show up or do I disappear? And most of all, for the God who has rescued me from slavery and from so many difficulties and brought me out of more pits than I can tell you about. Do I show up for him? Guys, this is serious stuff. I don't know what you think are great things to do for God, and I don't know what you think are big sins, but i got to tell you, I think right up at the top of the list is gratitude and ingratitude. Gratitude remembers, ingratitude forgets, gratitude shows up, ingratitude disappears. Thanks for listening. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us more than we can believe and understand. Now, Father, I pray that during this season of Thanksgiving, that first of all, we'll honor the day that our leaders have set aside through the years as American people to give you thanks for what you've done for our nation. You have been good to us. And then as Christ followers, I ask you that you would help us to remember that Thanksgiving is not just the fourth Thursday in November, but it's 365 days a year Lord, don't let us forget. And if we disappear today, I'm going to ask you for something. I don't think I've ever prayed this prayer in a church, especially a church like New Spring that I love so much. If we conveniently disappear at the crucial moments, make us 
uncomfortable. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. And may you have the greatest Thanksgiving you've ever had in your life. God bless. See you soon.